Well, hello, this is Gary, and you're listening to Thinking Out Loud. Today is November 21st. This podcast is being recorded Saturday, very early in the morning. <laughs> I tend to get up pretty early. Way too early today. Probably like 4.30. But it's fall, winter, so it's still dark out. should start going for a morning jog or something, but... Keep the mind limber during this very long coronavirus thing. Try to get out and about, get some fresh air, get some exercise. Um, some things to keep the randomness going. It's been kind of a running around in circles the last few years. A lot of rinse repeat. Seem to be at a bit of a crossroads here in this country and during these last couple months of the Trump regime that is fighting and clawing to try to retain power but uh, have no uh, legal remedy to retain power. Uh, this is a democratic society and we do get to elect who our leaders are. The leaders of our country aren't just simply dictated to us by some sort of aristocracy. Um, no, that is the way that Mr. Trump and his enablers would prefer it to be, where basically the aristocracy picks who the people in government are going to be, and then those people in government, you know, represent the aristocracy at the governmental level and not the people. And so the entire government caters to the whims and desires of the top 2% or so of the population and just kind of ignores everybody else. That is very much the type of government that Mr. Trump would prefer to have and one in which he can just stay in power as long as he wants. And they're basically the election is either meaningless or... Yeah, is basically this, that there may be an election, but it doesn't really matter what the results are. The person in power, if they want to stay in power, they just sort of get to. That's the kind of system he would prefer to have, and that is what he is, that's basically what they're, he and his lawyers are challenging. You know, the, the people of America voted and they voted a particular way. He did do very well. In fact, he won many states and, and got a bunch of electoral votes. He got over 71 million people to vote for him. Donald Trump. That's pretty amazing. It's the probably the second most in the history of our country. Um, he, he got a ton of votes. Um, no, he, he still got about five to six million less than the person who won both the popular vote and the electoral college, but he, you know, Trump did do well. Uh, he did win a lot of votes, um, and it's something to hang your hat on. Second most in history. He got the silver medal for votes in a presidential election. Good job. You know, usually if you're at the Olympics and you win the silver medal, that's that's a great honor. You, you didn't lose, you know, you're not, you're not referred to as a loser, 
necessarily. You're the silver medalist. You won the silver medal, you know. So that's what Donald Trump won in 2020. The silver medal in the all-time, uh, you know, vote count for presidential votes, you know, the presidential elections. You get the second most in history, you know. None of that really matters as far as the popular vote. Uh, that's not how we decide. That should be, obviously, and hopefully in the future, someday in the near future, like in my lifetime, before my children get too old, we'll have a, a system in which the people vote for who the president should be, and based off of how they vote, that's who the president is. That Yeah. Now, each citizen gets to vote who their local representatives are, who their state senators are, and all that sort of thing, who represents them at the, you know, the state government, and then who represents their state on the federal level. So there's plenty of sort of regional representation type thing, opportunities or whatever. But when it comes to representing the interest of the country as a whole, well, the people of that country should vote, and then whoever gets the most votes becomes the president main reason people defend keeping the electoral college is because of course what if it's a close race mm, yeah or something you know the real reason of course is uh, slavery that's the real reason the electoral college was invented um, but if you have a popular vote and the final results are really close, you know, less than a hundred thousand. If it's more than a hundred thousand, it's not really, it's close, but it's not like that, that close, you know. You know, it's 258,000 people who have passed away from Corona this year. That's a massive number. You know, it's caused quite the, you know, um, disruption in the way of life in this country because that many people are gone. Percentage-wise, it's, yeah, it's very low, but that, that's a lot of people. So, you know, a final presidential election coming down, getting being really close, and the winner only winning, quote-unquote, by 100,000 or 250,000. That's still a, a win, a pretty clear win. You could have something, though, where the Electoral College is more of a backup in case of an, a final vote of being less than 100,000 than some, maybe some sort of mandatory national recount and then um, you know an electoral college backup but electoral college needs to be tweaked because it's it doesn't represent each state equally some some votes have greater value in certain states it's not an, an exact ratio of voters to electoral votes it's not the same in every state um, some states have a there's a higher value of the one vote a person makes the slightly higher value but still nonetheless a, a greater value um, you know if you have a million people in your state and you get three electoral votes and another state has over 50 million people and they get 55 you know there, there's something off there I mean that the, just some basic math you realize wait you know the one state's getting a greater ratio of vote electoral votes to voters, you know, and it's a, you know, it, its total number of electoral votes is still a small number, sure, but the value of each vote in that is, is different, 
you know, and so why is that? You know, so a lot of flaws with the Electoral College, but nonetheless, Trump did indeed lose. You know, he, he lost the vote. It was, it came down to the people. The main reason the Republicans didn't want to remove Donald Trump from office because he abused his power. Well, they said abuse of power is not a justification for him losing his job. And so it should be up to the people to decide. One after another, every single Republican said it should be up to the people. Uh, with few exceptions, Mitt Romney. Don't agree with a lot of his politics, but, you know, and he's still got that all next to his name, but he's been willing and able at times to genuinely stand up to Trump. Uh, for example, voting to remove Trump from office at the impeachment hearing. That was his official on-the-record vote. Um, that's saying something. You know, he still has that all next to his name, and he still, you know, engages in... I'm sure quite a bit of mental gymnastics to try to thread that needle of being a devout Republican and being honorable. You know, how do you do both things? Donald Trump abused his power and his colleagues on the same side of the aisle. Their defense, their justification for not removing Trump from his job was that abuse of power was not a justification for him losing his job. So that's why they voted no to remove. So Mitt Romney did, though, vote to remove Trump from office. But people like him in the, within the Republican Party are very few and very far between. Um, the Republican Party picked this Trump character, and they stuck with him, and they doubled down, and now they're tripling down. I mean, they're you know, Trump lost, you know. Yes, he did very well. He got a ton of votes. He convinced 71 million people to vote for him, a famous con man who abused his power as president, who had a policy of abusing children as a matter of policy because they were trespassing. Yeah. Used taxpayer dollars to go golfing at golf resorts that he owned so that he would also get a cut of that as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Stoked violence and racism. And then was completely indifferent when an airborne illness that we knew about ahead of time, and he was received briefs on back in January and February, he did nothing about it. In fact, was kind of dismissive of it for months and months and months. Said it would just go away when it got warmer. There's been 258,000 people that have died from that airborne illness since then. He will go down as the worst president in the history of our country, and it will be pretty much an emphatic fact. There, there won't be, you know, it, it, it's just going to be kind of a given. You, you know, it, it, it's not really going to be something that's really like, was Donald Trump the worst type thing? There will be some hangers-on probably in 20, 30 years that are still going to try to pretend like Trump was good. Um, but they're, they're going to look really weird and just kind of off and no one's really good. There's, it's going to be a very small percentage that's going to kind of buy into that. Um, it used to be a debate about what who the worst president in the history of this country was. 
Um, moving forward, it's not really going to be much of a debate anymore. The Trump name will forever will be associated with being the worst. You know, it it's sort of an irony to that because there's you know the phrase the Trump card or something. You know, the the thing that trumps everything. I mean, it beats everything. It always wins, but. Donald Trump will, will go down in history as the complete opposite, you know, the, the sort of embodiment of the person you, that you should never have in a position of power, ever, uh, and what can happen to a society when it willingly chooses said person to lead their society. What happens to that society? What happens to the people? What happens to morale? You know, what happens to that country's standing in the world? Um, it, you know, it more than slips. <laughs> it plummets. You know, it, I mean, we have fallen dramatically in these four years under Trump. 71 million people wanted more of that, you know, because they're being fed a steady stream of propaganda telling them that everything is going awesome under Trump. And somehow, some way, they believe it, and believed it, and continue to think that it's great under Trump. That's that was his slogan for round two: keep America great, because they already achieved. We already achieved great greatness because Trump's been president. Like, think about that. <laughs> Where's your life now, and where was it a few years ago? It wasn't great before, but but now it's great. That we we got there, we made it. That 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 was kind of Trump's slogan, basically. We we're already at the greatness, so let's keep it going. Uh huh. You know. Um, it it just it's confusing, and it doesn't make a lot of sense as to how, why, so many people think that Trump's great. What is the definition of greatness now? It's like when things are going really well or um, they're fun and enriching experiences, I'm personally, I try to avoid using that particular word great because I don't, that word has a different meaning now. It, you know, it's not, is it positive or, you know, so something maybe awesome or spectacular or splendid but it's certainly not great you know because what is great you know, I'll grate some cheese but uh, I don't think I'm going to be looking for experiences that are enriching and fulfilling and spectacular tubular dude sweet and nice but certainly not great because uh, Great seems to be very, maybe what Donald Trump meant by great would, would be, you know, divisive, hateful, stressed out, and anxious. I'll pass. I think I'll, I'll skip that. I'm, I'm good there, you know. But we are, we are in the final couple months of this Trump insanity. There is a finish line. No matter how unwilling he and his enablers who 
you know, fully, you know, they stake their claim, man. I mean, they, uh, they're in the history books. It's all, it's all captured, you know, it's all been, it's all on the record, you know, how they voted, things they said in public press conferences and things, and, you know, um, it, this situation with, you know, the sitting president trying to fight the results of an election. It, it's not just Trump. You know, there's a team of lawyers that are doing it. There's Republican officials that are going along with it. You know, Trump just continues to be enabled. And it's, it you know, begs the question, why? You know, if, if you're a representative of the people, why are you enabling a, a president to do this sort of thing, a sitting president? He lost the popular vote by something like nearly six million. It's over five, I know, but over five million. Yet, like, trying to overturn the will of the people. And for what? You know, what is Trump's government? It's a, it's a government of cruelty, hatred, division, incompetence, you know, corruption. That's what it is. All on full public display. You know. It, it, it's, a, it's a third world dictatorship style government. That's, you know, operating with any society that defines itself as a first world, you know, highly industrialized, free market, democratic society. Um, but... That is the thing about free will and, uh, you know, democracy. People do have the right to vote. They also have the right to consume information wherever they get it. It's, it's free market in a lot of ways. It's, it's completely open. There's no, very little to any governmental restraint on information or whatever. So you can just sort of choose whatever information sources you want and kind of believe whatever version of reality you want I suppose is another way of thinking of it it's a uh, such a weird weird country we've got here you know like but that, that that that's always been one of the hardest ones with me with this the, the Trump persona the Trump character that's been I've been sort of following for several decades now you know um, and I never understood the appeal, you know, or why people would think that he was awesome. And he, he so clearly, like, wasn't. And then when he would later, like, later in life claim to be a Christian, like, then because I think that's a pretty, <laughs> that's a more recent thing that he, uh, you know, started saying that. Because it, it's more politically advantageous to be Christian. Um, a lot of Christians say that they feel persecuted and stuff for being Christian, but... Um, and some do, but it, not not as much in the United States. It it it's hard if you're going to be a, you know, federal representative, to get elected if you're not sort of Christian. It it's kind of, and when, if you're going to be run as a Republican, it's almost required. Yeah, so you have to at least probably say that you are. So I think him claiming to be Christian is a far more recent thing. He did go to, I think. Similar to me, he went to, like, church as a kid. I think he kind of had to or something, but 
kind of like me when I had to, but, you know, I don't, he's just, uh, he's so just, Trump is just one of those people that's just so obviously bad that that was part of his persona. So it's it's been just strange how he's been able to sort of blend the sort of persona of the villain while doing villainous things on full public display and then but never really even pretending to be a person that cares for others or is empathetic for others but then still convincing people who do claim to have you know a, a closer importance with empathy and the golden rule and things like that to go along with him to, to vote for him it's, a, it's just it's very strange that you know because there's a lot of mental gymnastics has become a, a a vigorous sport here in the united states of america is it you know unless people are just watching propaganda stations so much sinclair broadcasting and fox news and Infowars and that new conservative news network thing um, they're just watching it so much and then living in a fairly small bubble and then just only consuming those news it's going to give you a very skewed view of the world you know if you're not going out and meeting different types of people and traveling around and getting news from different sources um, you're, you're gonna get a fairly narrow perspective but then you know even if you're only getting news from one or two sources those sources are fairly just telling you news just presenting information it, it's gonna give you a little bit more rounder perspective but Fox News um, Infowars, things like that, they're, they're not just presenting information, they're, you know, they're skewing it in a very particular way to make you think a particular way, um, and this is presenting information, then what do you think, it, it, but more subliminally type thing, you know, just presenting information and then moving on to the next story, and then just here's what happened, boom, just data-driven, fact-based, just information. How you process that is up, you know, based on your experience and how you want to process it. But that's not what Fox News, Infowars, Breitbart, and all those kind of things do. They're skewing it in a certain way. Now, for that matter, cable news is almost exclusively that. I haven't really seen... I don't even remember the last time I saw a proper, like, news broadcast. You know, I do like, uh, for just more of a proper presenting news format. I think my favorite is uh, PBS NewsHour. Um, but, yeah, I haven't watched them. I said, I need to, like, start getting, uh, just reading, like, the paper every morning or something like that, like my dad did when I was a kid. He, he st still does that. He reads the paper, you know, front to back every morning. And then uh, I think he also gets the, that was the, what was it, the, uh, the Oregonian, because he, he lives in Portland. And then um, he also does, I think, the New York Times sometimes as well. But cover to cover at, every morning, you know. It's a habit of, I probably should have picked up years ago. It's just a good way to stay truly informed. Now, even in the newspaper, there might be some 
you know, tilting one way or the other, but good reporting, good journalism is just, it's going to be presenting information, getting, you know, citing, you know, getting sourced material or whatever, or, um, getting, presenting all the facts that on a particular case. And then maybe there's some, you know, there's other, within the story, there's implications of this thing that's happening, what, you know, what the people presenting the information think are some implications from this particular set of facts. But, you know, mostly it's just, it's presenting information, facts, data, and what, what's specifically going on. Who, what, where, when, why, you know. But more the who, what, where, when. But also, you know, the, the why is good to know too. Like, what were the motivations of? You know, there was some crime that happened, and you know, or the, what were the motivations of criminals or some, whatever. I uh, this, it's uh, it's a weird time because there's just there's. Just, the weird divide too many people are getting they just got lulled into something and uh but it's been a long slow drift you know because i mean there's millions of working class people that genuinely believe that the republican party is representing working class interests like they, they genuinely through and through to the bone to the core of their being believe that that or, that organization picked Donald Trump in 2016 i mean that's the thing he he didn't win the primary no, no, i mean yeah yeah he votes votes in primary whatever but he he was never he was just the last man standing you know they they had a inept primary they they didn't put out their best you know they, they I'm sure they have some more exciting candidates within the ranks they just felt they weren't ready yet or whatever they, they just had a a goofy process for picking who their represent who their nominee was going to be you know um but they nonetheless that that organization picked Donald Trump Donald Trump prior to becoming president Prior to becoming a game show host, which was probably what he was most famous for prior to being president. Prior to becoming a game show host, he was famous for being racist, bankrupting companies, cheating on his wives, being sexist and kind of stupid and just a whore for publicity. That's who he was famous for. He was not famous for being a successful businessman. I have, it's so confusing how that myth that he just sort of created a few years ago became what people took as fact. He, he claims that he borrowed $1 million from his father to get started, and then he's a self-made billionaire. There's real-life human beings in this country that genuinely believe that bullshit. You know, Donald Trump had hundreds of thousands of dollars put into his trust fund by his father when he was a toddler. By the time Donald Trump was eight or nine years old, he was a millionaire. Not because he was a child genius or anything like that. No, no, because his father gave him tons of money. Over the course of Donald Trump's life, his father gave him over $400 million in today's dollars. Yeah. 
if you were to invest just a small portion of that, say a 25% of that and just some basic fixed annuities, you could easily pay yourself a salary of about $100,000 a month. And, uh, you know, it would never run out. Pretty neat. Real basic investment. And you can live fat off, you know, high off the hog forever. And you would never have to work ever. And then, of course, hopefully it would motivate you to use the rest of the money. Because that was that 100000 a month. That's just with using 25% of your inheritance. The rest of it you would invest in society and create various philanthropic organizations that do good to others because you are already more than well taken care of. If you can't live off $100,000 a month, you, you have some problems and you need to manage your finances a little bit better. Um, but that's who Trump was, you, you know. Um, he, he was very famous, you know. He had his name on big tall buildings and, and his name was in gold in, in all capital letters Trump so that must mean he's successful you know his name is on a building and it's in gold yeah and he's on TV and he has a suit you know so he, he must be good right because he's really famous he has a lot of toys and he has his name on a big tall building you know and and he, and he just wrote a book about the art of the deal because he's such a good deal maker you know this is like early 90s or whatever but it seems off I remember thinking because you know he doesn't seem that smart how did he write a book you know he really sat down and write, wrote a whole book and then you find out years later no he, he didn't write the book Tony Schwartz wrote the book Donald Trump was just the subject and then you also kind of wonder is he really that good of a deal maker isn't he famous for bankrupting companies? And the answer is, yeah, he is famous for bankrupting companies. Yeah. Years later would come out that there was a stretch of time in the 1980s where Donald Trump was literally the worst businessman in all of America. Lost more money than any other individual American. The, the sort of autopilot response from the uh, MAGA crowd would be something to the extent of, but then he did something after that to redeem himself or something. Nope. <laughs> uh, nope. No, he never did. No. He was still famous and still on TV and still extravagantly wealthy, supposedly. What was his true net worth? He could never truly prove that. Uh, he even attempted to uh, sue a journalist, Tim O'Brien, I believe his name is, who wrote a book about Trump. Um, that questioned what Trump presents as his net worth. Trump claimed to be a billionaire, in, when in fact he was still quite wealthy, but it, his net worth was probably more like $200 million, which is still virtually infinite. That, that's the thing we get... I mean, the difference between 200 million and a billion is obviously a massive amount. 800 million, that's a crap ton of money. But 200 million, that, that's virtually infinite if you're a normal person. <laughs> yeah. Uh, pretty basic investments, earning a very modest interest rate, fixed annuities type investment, very low risk. 
yeah, you can set yourself up with an extremely lavish allowance for in perpetuity, forever. And, and you, you don't need to do anything. Yeah. You don't need to ever work. Could obviously if you want to, but, you know, something in the 100000 a month type thing. That, that That's obviously plenty of money. The average person in the United States of America earns about... The median income is something in the upper 50 range, lower 60,000 60, per year. So if you're earning 100,000 a month, monthly, doing absolutely nothing, it's just automatic every month you got a check or a direct deposit or whatever for $100,000. Uh, I, th I think you'd, you'd find a way to survive just fine. Yeah. So, you know, e even when Trump was losing massive amounts of money, Bank, companies going bankrupt he was fine he, he was still very affluent and living an extremely affluent lifestyle you're when you're at that level of affluence when you're born into the upper affluent rungs of the, you know the ultra affluent um, the top few tenths of a percent you know the the wealthiest of the wealthy um, With very basic investments, you will never be poor. You you have to try to be poor, you know, or, or to even fall to the middle class ranks or whatever. And then obviously, if you fall to middle class, then you can certainly fall to poor pretty easily. But um, it it's just it's not impossible. But there's all kinds of what we call tax loopholes to help make sure that those born into the affluent class. Um, no matter how bad they screw up throughout life, maintain their position in the upper affluent class. And Donald Trump is certainly a beneficiary of this type of government-sanctioned, you know, tax loophole um, system. You know, um, he he's a famous fuck-up. You know, pardon my French or whatever. You know, but he he is famous for bankrupting companies, cheating on his wives, being sexist, stupid, and just kind of a hole for publicity. But that garnered him a great level of fame, uh, and then there was a certain value in his fame, and so he also endorsed a lot of products like Burger King and McDonald's or whatever, and he had a cameo in Home Alone 2, because he was just very famous. Not famous for being successful, famous for being those other things, just kind of a hole for publicity do anything for fame and, and kind of a as a business person just kind of a, a very short attention span all kind of ventures that seemed ill-conceived like selling steaks at sharper image you know uh, putting his name on a vodka even though he doesn't drink alcohol so yeah and, and you know it just looked kind of cheap and shitty you know it almost looked like a plastic bottle with his name on it and just a clear liquid in the inside you know it just it was just he had a lot of adventures like that but because he was so famous he was able to sort of promote them on on the national stage even though they were just really dumb ideas you know and stupid um and then you know he but he was famous enough that uh, a producer of a game show who had produced Survivor prior to the new game show he wanted to produce, um, thought that Donald Trump would be the good, a good sort of uh, centerpiece for a business-themed game show. 
and that's how that's how Donald Trump became the host of The Apprentice. And so that um, Trump becoming host of The Apprentice and that becoming a hit show, that increased his celebrity. Uh, and it became, he became, I guess, a little less of a notorious figure, although he still was in my mind. And probably most people who had been following this story prior to him becoming a game show host, um, he was still more of a notorious figure, a sort of, you know, just kind of just a horrible publicity person. Who's, who, there's no real substance there. It's all just a, a shtick, you know, a, a gimmick. You know, he's not really a successful businessman. He's just pretending to be one on TV. Uh, but it kind of went to his head, you know, for Donald Trump. He, that opening montage of The Apprentice where, he, you know, he, with uh, money, money, money playing and, uh, you know, there's this private jet in the background and his hair's all perfectly quaffed and all that. You know, it's a highly produced opening montage. I mean, you just, you know, need to couple good cameraman you got a sound crew whatever and you can put that together splice it together you can make just about anyone look cool and that, I mean that's the amazing thing they, they found a way to make Donald Trump seem cool and or whatever I mean I, I kind of when that show first came on I almost thought it was like a, a tongue-in-cheek thing or something like a they're gonna pretend like they you Prior to that show becoming a hit, he, he had had his sixth, fifth or sixth bankruptcy, another colossal failure on the grand stage, and U.S. banks had stopped lending him money. And so he, he just kind of, it was his last one, and he just kind of disappeared from the limelight for a while. At least that's kind of how I remember it. Kind of was like, sweet, that guy's done, finally. U.S. banks were kind of done with him. Uh, but then he just poof became the host of a game show you know and it was showing him all you know coming out of these private jets and wearing the fancy suit and stuff he he hadn't redeemed himself with some highly successful well-respected business venture that you know whatever he he just was never he, he never truly became poor poor like a poor normal person would become poor he still was able to maintain an affluent lifestyle and there therefore sort of present the appearance of success um, there was you know whatever there was blemishes in the facade though uh, and the producers of the show kind of realized that when they first made contact with Trump you know it was like some of the office was like falling apart and stuff like that and you know because it was just a it was a crumbling empire you know because it was just all a it was all a mirage but there was fame there and he was a famous business person and so with a little bit of Hollywood magic type thing they were able to present Trump as being this highly successful character and then you know as you're watching the show it's called reality TV but you know there's I'm sure a certain point person percentage of people that understand that it's entertainment as writers and producers and you know they're kind of 
trying to present an entertaining show that people are going to be into. You know, so Donald Trump is playing the character Donald Trump on on the show. You know, it, he has lines to say. Later, they go in post production. They edit. You know, the hour long. Um, speech of Donald Trump's, they'll edit it down to maybe a minute and a half, two minutes. You can let him, Donald Trump, ramble for longer than that, and who, who knows what you're going to get, you know, because he's, he's Donald Trump. <laughs> but um, with cutting down an hour of scripted dialogue for Donald Trump down to, or, you know, maybe like a, a paragraph of scripted dialogue where then he then goes for an hour, with post-production editing, you can get that down to just a few minutes to make it look like he's real clear and precise um, when he's talking to the contestants on the show, therefore presenting a very, you know, elevated uh, image of Trump. Even though it, it, it it's it's just a show. It, he, he, what he's presenting on the show, it's just a character, you know, that the producers of the show, the writers of the show, are helping create, so that it's an entertaining show that you turn in, tune in each week. To see what's going on with the contestants on The Apprentice, you know, a several week long saga contest, silly quasi business related competitions and such, you know, and whatever, you know. It was a hit show for many years. But the elevated fame got Trump to, uh, you know, be more famous. And so that's. Uh, you know that, that's how when he this when he had some certain thoughts on Barack Obama being president, uh, they were able to be covered as news. Uh, it may not have been prior to that, but he had had press conferences before because he he'd run for president before and stuff, and like way back in the early nineties, um, and and for whatever reason, there had been times in his past where just random stupid things he was saying would be covered as news you know and so or some business project or some project he was working on he, he was able to have the connections to where his you know goofy opinions become like opinion or become like news for whatever reason um, but that's his thoughts on Barack Obama uh, throughout Barack Obama's presidency were for whatever reason covered as news and it was able to gain him some so-called legitimacy as a political candidate because he was talking about a political figure that was sort of deemed like uh, legitimate political engagement or, or something. It was very confusing but basically uh, Donald Trump throughout Barack Obama's presidency questioned um, where Barack Obama had been born without any evidence or anything. It was mainly because Donald Trump is a famous racist uh, going back many, many years. Um, that's kind of how he became famous in the first place. People who've worked for him for years know that he's a racist and it's not really, it, it's not really a secret <laughs> among people who uh, know him well and have known him for years. Um, but yeah, that, that's really what it was about. But, you know, Donald Trump did not want a black man to be president. And so... His racist views, uh, because he was famous, became news. His racist um, opinions uh, became news 
and sometimes it was covered live by several new networks and he was able to just sort of have the soapbox to stand on and just spout out racist dumb shit and somehow that led to his increased popularity in or, or viability in becoming president one day because he he became really more famous from the ho being a host of a game show and then because he was so famous when he got on his soapbox and said really racist stupid shit um, people became more more interested in him being pre pres president yeah you know the the long slow meteoric rise of one Donald John Trump is sort of inversely related to the long slow gradual decline of this country over the last few decades um, with little spurts of sort of hope and optimism and then just clamped down by sort of establishment systematic um, stresses and weights and uh, divisions that are put on the people but yep Republican Party picked that guy they picked that guy in 2016 and then they picked him again in 2020 and then when that guy lost Mr. Trump lost the election he, he he's coming to an end of his term um, many in that organization Republican Party have uh, stood by Trump anyway even as Mr. Trump is attempting a coup on the full public stage you know ordering you know sort of firing people who in positions of authority who have said the election was safe and sound um, and replacing them with loyal lackeys um, firing people at the and removing people from various high military military posts in the Pentagon and such um, ordering prosecutors to investigate and to try to block uh, counting of the elections or uh, confirming the election with no evidence whatsoever. Uh, ordering his attorney to go and give press conferences where he says all kinds of wild things, but then when it comes down to the nitty-gritty, the things he actually says in the courtroom, he says there is no fraud. But then he'll go out on the press conference and shout all kinds of fraud type things all kinds of conspiracy theories because it's not under oath you know it's uh yeah you know um so it's kind of it's it's like what did the 71 million people who voted trump want really what, what are they hoping for what did they define as greatness and i don't know you know, I'm not really sure what they're hoping for. You know, like how how does being a more divisive country benefit? You know, um, the only thing I could benefit I can think from this four years of Trump is that we hopefully understand the importance of our vote more. Um, it does matter who we elect. Um, we are a democratic society and we do have you know checks and balances all that sort of thing but if people refuse to participate then the checks and balances don't really work as well because they're not really being checked and balanced um, there's things can sort of decay over time um, 
So I think there's a lot of factors that led to this Trump era. And so hopefully it's something that we can learn from. You know, how do we move forward from this? So four years of Trump is the uh, four years of sort of lying, cheating, stealing, uh, open, blatant corruption, abuse of power, and heightened propaganda and spreading of misinformation and racism and, um, you know, violence and division. All that increased exponentially under Trump. Disease. You know, 258,000 people have died this year from coronavirus. And an indifference response from Trump and his enablers. You know, 71 million voted for that. So, you know, we, we got to experience what this, what does what this, our country feel like? What does the day-to-day -day life feel like in this country when enough of us willingly choose you know the opposite of democracy well there, there's a lot more stress and anxiety and tension and, and hatred and division and, and it's a less hopeful place uh, when we elect someone who's famously corrupt that's like why Donald Trump is famous famous he's a corrupt person he was born wealthy and exploited his wealth you know, used his wealth to exploit others, basically, you know. He he didn't have to work, ever. And he could have maintained an extremely affluent lifestyle that he became accustomed as a child without ever doing anything, you know. And the reality is, he, he's, he's not really done anything. You know, he, he was born with tons of money. When you're born with tons of money, other people do all the stuff for you. So even the, you, you know... The presidenting, you know, the presidential work. All he's worried about right now is re retaining the legal protections afforded him by being the current president. The criminal justice system in this country has a policy of not charging sitting presidents with a crime. There are a wide variety of crimes that Donald Trump is suspected of engaging in, but he hasn't been charged with any of them. Because he is currently the president of the United States. What is he doing doing during these last couple months of his presidency? He's having his teams of lawyers try to get lawsuits all over the country to try to overturn the results of the election. And in just one after another, they're being dismissed outright because they're they're all bullshit. It, there's no, there's no substance. It's one thing to go to a political rally and rant and rave and say all kinds of dumb shit and make up all kinds of wild accusations. When you're in a courtroom in front of a judge, you need facts, you need evidence. If you don't have anything, then you don't have a case. You know, this is America, the land of law and order, you know. Um, but that's not something Trump understands. But it is. A famous part of his story that that is another famous part of his story it's not just the, the bankrupting companies it's and how he ran those companies it's how he would treat the people who did business with him you know one of his buildings that he was overseeing or whatever there was a lot of concrete that had to be laid and such and you know he had some sort of deal with 
the new some of the New York crime families back when Trump's lawyer was Roy Cohn, uh, famous crime, you know, criminal lawyer for uh, you know the mafia in New York. That was also Trump's personal attorney. Um, but he would get certain deals with uh, you know the concrete workers and stuff. But then he would. There's many times where they basically wouldn't get paid, the concrete workers and stuff. There's a lot of times that you know Polish immigrants were used, and they wouldn't get paid um, when the bill was due. You know, um, work would be done, and then Trump just wouldn't pay them. There's um, a lot of not paying people for their work throughout Trump's time as a business owner. Um, Trump, Taj Mahal, um, that was the famous one I remember specifically was the, uh, there was a small family owned carpentry company that had been in business for decades and they did all the cabinetry for the uh, slot machines. And it, Projects like that that would probably, you know, probably take weeks, months to do. There was probably some kind of initial payment to get the thing going, you know, set a bit of supplies and stuff, and then maybe some kind of small payment in the middle or something. But then the bulk of the payment due would be at the end when the project is completed. And I imagine a project like that, there would have been various checkpoints along the way in which, you know, once they're achieved, then you, you move on to the next thing. Oh, that you're proved here. Okay, boom. So they, I imagine <coughs> that on that particular project, that company that was doing business with them, building all the uh, slot machine cabinetry, was, you know, being approved along the way. That's not something where they just do the whole thing, and then when they're all done, oh, nope, none of this is right. N no, no, no. They, they would be checking in throughout. They would, it would, there would be a, you know, like... And I, I know that that's probably most likely what happened is where, yeah, th this co company was doing work and, you know, the Trump organization was kind of monitoring or at least someone would be and kind of saying, okay, a few days along, this is where they're at. This looks good. This is good. And then et cetera, et cetera. But then when the final bill came due, Trump just refused to pay it. So the company had to sue Trump. And Trump, using his team of lawyers, found various ways to delay and prolong the case, drag it out. The small comp carpenter company had to, you know, pay lawyers a ton of money to keep it going. Mind you, they've already done all the work. They've already spent a great deal to do all this work, paying employees and the supplies and all that sort of thing. So they're kind of in the red until they get paid in full. But now they also have these attorney fees to pay for now, too. But that's, that's something Trump did thousands of times, you know. It, it was just part of his M.O. That's what he would do. To him, it was just part of doing business. You know, someone does work for you. Um, work that needs that you need to have done. Uh, once the bill was due, he would just, you know, refuse to pay it. or Or at least refuse to pay it in full by claiming some sort of non-existent, you know, deficiency in the work or something, you know, and um, find some excuse to try to not pay them, and then they would have to sue and prolong it out, and eventually that, you know, the group suing Trump would have to settle out of court.
you know. In the case of that carpentry company that did all the cabinetry at the Taj Mahal, they did indeed go out of business after being open for decades. They made the unfortunate mistake of doing business with Donald Trump. And uh, they're, they're no longer a company. You know, that's, um, you know, it's kind of what he represents when you support him. So it, during these last couple months, I'm hoping that uh, a lot of these the folks that, for whatever reason, think that Trump's awesome, start thinking, uh, start being able to see the better picture. What if our country had health care as a right? How do you fund it? Tons of money in this country. Tons of money. How do you fund hospitals? How much does it cost to fund a hospital? Let's let's get that number. How many hospitals do we need to properly take care of 300 million people? What if a virus hits and it spreads around? How, what are the adequate, what are the necessary supplies and staffing needed to properly, you know, treat and, you know, combat or whatever said virus and such? Yeah, that in our case, it has a particular relevance. So what is the cost medically to properly take care of a population of 300 million people. We're over 200 years old now. We're an industrialized nation. We, we have tons of really smart people here. Why is this not a thing yet? Where, where we've know what the cost is to provide proper medical care to our population and to make it available. Universal health care. That's what it is. How does it get funded? First, what what are the what is the cost <laughs> to to pro, to provide proper medical care to the people of this country? There's 300 million of us. We live in various parts of the country. What are the various conditions that exist in the world? What what if people go to get a a physical or a checkup every six months and they treat things early? There's less cost later, etc., etc., etc. Let's get some numbers, and what is it? Let's start there. <laughs> you know, what does it cost to provide proper medical treatment to 300 million people? It's just a number. Let's find what the number is first. You know, so how much money do we need to raise to properly fund the healthcare system to properly take care of? 300 plus million people okay so let's start there because that's kind of a basic necessity of humans is we need to be able to access health care so what's the number that we need to be able to raise in monies or whatever and then we can sort out which areas of our society which revenue streams uh, would be most conducive to you know collecting a certain portion of or whatever in order to properly fund a healthcare system to take care of 300 million people. Healthcare is a big one. And then also education. Yeah. What, what, what would it cost to properly fund the schools throughout the country? What's that number? Okay. Let's make sure we're bringing in enough revenue to cover those things that we need to pay for. And, and let's do that, you know. It is possible. So stay hopeful out there. God bless. This is Gary, thinking out loud.